Scripture reading comes from several places this afternoon, beginning first in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. Now, all other readings this afternoon are going to be in connection with the theme of baptism, which is the topic that the Catechism uh, presents before us this afternoon to, to uh, consider from Scripture. Matthew 3, then, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So far from Matthew, let's also now turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin." Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So far from Romans, and then finally we'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 
looking just at verses 18 through 22. There are many uh, intricacies of this passage we will not be getting into uh, today, though that uh, is coming up soon in the series on Peter. Uh, But we do want to see uh, what Peter says here about baptism. So 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on all that we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 105, stanzas 1-4. through Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, the confession of this church, and a summary of the Christian teaching. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 26 of the Catechism. That's on page 540 of your books of praise if you wish to follow along. There, the question that is asked is, How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly His blood and Spirit wash away the impurity of my soul that is all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and Spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in His sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with His Spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that He will wash us with His blood and Spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. So far the reading of the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as you can see, uh, the topic before us is Uh, baptism. We'll be looking at this uh, sacrament just in general terms, looking at the meaning of baptism. 
Uh, and our goal this afternoon is, is to try and come to a deeper appreciation of this sacrament of baptism so that we can better appreciate its, its importance in our lives. Uh, the timing for this uh, is wonderful since we have a profession of faith and get to see uh, the fulfillment of God's promise in baptism coming to fruition. Uh, and so that should hopefully uh, help us to, to visualize uh, the beauty of this sacrament. Well, we started our series on the sacraments last week, and one of the points that I raised then is that it seems that there are many Christians today uh, who, for some reason or other, see little value in the sacraments. Uh, and this is also true of the sacrament of baptism. Uh, there are many Christians who see it, uh, who can look back on it, maybe it was done to them while they were a child, uh, and they just see it as part of what was done when they were born or what, they, what was done when they became a member of the church, but not something that seems to have a lasting value and importance to them. Now, sometimes uh, that's uh, for, for those, at least in our community, who are not members of the church, that might be part of their rejection of the church as a whole. If you go out into Alora, you, you look into the community, you find many who were baptized at some point in their life, but it has no meaning for them. They are no, not even members of the church. This is what uh, we call nominal Christians, those who are Christians in name only. But there are sometimes Christians as well, perhaps within the church, who do take their faith seriously. Uh, who read Scripture, who pray regularly, uh, who genuinely trust in Christ on a day-to-day basis, and yet still they look back at their baptism and, and they don't see much meaning or value to it. Well, my sermon this afternoon is particularly directed at that camp. Uh, for those who see baptism as just something that happened to them. I know that there are many in that camp, even in our congregation, uh, because some of you have shared with me those very same sentiments, and, and I've seen it more often in our federation. In fact, if, if I'm going to be honest, I've often felt that way myself. Is baptism more than just something that was done to me? Uh, so I stand here with you as one then who, who needs to grow in appreciation for this sacrament. I am convicted, though, by the very high value that Scripture places on this sacrament, which tells us that it really does mean something in the eyes of God. And that's what we want to understand this afternoon. We can see this in a whole number of places in Scripture, some of which we read a moment ago. Uh, We might observe just in the first place that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself uh, instituted this sacrament. He commanded that the church use uh, or administer this sacrament. He didn't say to His disciples, go and make disciples of all nations and if you feel it's helpful, baptize them. That wasn't the command. It was a command to do so. Uh, Likewise, in Acts 2, when Peter is preaching to the crowds in Jerusalem, and they ask him, well, brothers, what shall we do to be saved? Uh, Peter's answer was, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And on that day, 3,000 people were baptized. Uh, Which, 
if you think about it, would have taken at the very least, uh, assuming dozens of disciples administering these baptisms, it still would have taken hours to do on that day. Clearly, the first Christians saw very high value in the sacrament of baptism. And it hits you even harder when you get to the epistles, uh, the apostolic letters of the New Testament, where the sacrament of baptism seems to just come up again and again and again. Uh, the, the scriptures speak very highly of this sacrament. Listen again to Romans 6, which we read earlier, just verses 3 and 4. Paul says, uh, in answer to this question, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's very obvious that the Apostle Paul saw something very important as happening in that baptism. And you see the same thing in a number of his other writings. Galatians 3, verse 27, for example, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's a strong statement. If you've been baptized, you have put on Christ. He saw that as very, very valuable. And you see the same thing in the Apostle Peter. We read uh, a bit from 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, and, and listen to the strong language that he uses. He says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, this the Ark of Noah, he says, Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, baptism then functions uh, as evidence of our very salvation. It proclaims our participation in the resurrection of Christ. It is a very big deal. So then it's clear that the uh, apostles and the Spirit, of course, writing through them, uh, places a very high value on this sacrament. And we should uh, understand the early Christians did not do that superstitiously. Uh, We might be inclined to think that when we look at the early church and we think, oh yeah, but this was the birth of the church and they were superstitious people in those first centuries. Uh, but, But that's clearly not the case. Peter makes it very clear. It's not about water removing dirt from the body. That's not uh, what makes baptism so meaningful. It's the resurrection of Christ that your baptism proclaims. So then I think it's appropriate that we uh, Christians uh, reflect on this question. Do we value our baptism as the scriptures teach us to value it? Uh, And if not, what is it perhaps that they understood about baptism that we have perhaps lost sight of. That's the question I want to spend the remainder of our time working through. Uh, To do that, we do have to start with the the very imagery of baptism, which is imagery that actually reaches back into the Old Testament. Uh, We've uh, read about one Old Testament type already. Uh, Peter mentioned it, the flood of Noah. Uh, And Peter draws the analogy that what we're we're supposed to understand is that world was deluged by a flood, uh, which was judgment for the world and was also salvation and rescue for the people of God. And Peter says, baptism is like that. It is the symbol that you have been rescued from the world, which is perishing, that you've been rescued to be saved. 
Paul makes another analogy, another Old Testament analogy, uh, in, in another place where he compares baptism to the crossing of the Red Sea. Same idea. Those same waters that were salvation for the people of Israel were judgment for, for Pharaoh and his army. Uh, there's another foreshadowing of baptism, perhaps you can think of it, in the Old Testament, in, in the baptism of Naaman, the conversion of Naaman, the Assyrian general. Uh, that, that passage actually describes the first instance of an, an actual baptism taking place performed by the prophet Elisha. So this unbelieving uh, Syrian general, Naaman, uh, went to Elisha to be healed of leprosy and was commanded to dip himself, uh, literally to baptize himself, seven times in the Jordan River. Uh, and when he did so, uh, the, the proud Naaman, the story paints him as a very proud individual, uh, the proud but leprous and sick Naaman comes out of the water uh, with not only soft skin, but a soft heart. Uh, And and you see in that moment how God had transformed this man's very heart. He says, now I know that there is no other God under heaven but the Lord alone. Well, in that that event, you see a very clear foreshadowing of the the Christian baptism. This uh, Gentile is brought into the water, is cleansed, and is brought out of the water a new person, both literally and in his case, even physically. Uh, There is a picture there of a death and a resurrection. Now, when you get to the New Testament, the first baptism is performed by uh, John the Baptizer. Uh, In the years before Jesus' ministry, John uh, was baptizing in the wilderness in the Jordan, doing exactly what Elisha had been doing uh, with Naaman. So John was a a prophet called by God, and uh, his baptism in Scripture is specifically called a baptism of repentance. Uh, So he taught the kingdom of Christ is coming. He was preaching at that time still just to God's people Israel, uh, and was calling them to repent of their sin and to prepare the way for the kingdom of God. And as they did so, they would be baptized in the water. Uh, Now we need to, as we think about that, we need to stop and understand there is a clear difference between the the baptism of John the baptizer and that of the Lord Jesus. Uh, John himself makes that point very clear uh, in his own preaching. He told the people, I baptize you with water, but one will come after me who will, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we, we have to ask the question, what's meant by that? Uh, obviously, uh, his point was not, I baptize you with water, but the one to come will not baptize you with water, because Jesus did. Uh, that is exactly what he taught the disciples to do. Uh, But what he's saying then is, I baptize you with only water. He shall baptize you with not only the water, but the thing that it signifies. Uh, He speaks of both fire and the Holy Spirit. And there again, you see this picture in baptism of there's judgment and there's salvation. There's fire for those who don't believe. There's the Holy Spirit for those who do. Uh, A separation again of God's people from the world. So it's very clear as we look just at John's baptism that the baptism of the Lord Jesus is something still greater. That that then brings us to the institution of baptism by the Lord Jesus Himself. 
Uh, and here, uh, when, when we come to that uh, command in Matthew 28, it's very clear that baptism is much more than what it was with John. Because Jesus says to his disciples, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, here's the key phrase, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name. Jesus' baptism, here's the key difference, is baptism into a name. John never baptized into anybody's name. Uh, And and this is uh, often misunderstood in in the way that baptism's administered. Uh, And I want to take a moment to explain this. When the minister sprinkles uh, water, in our case, on on the head of an infant or uh, an adult who comes forward to be baptized, uh, and he says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, that, that word in can be perhaps misleading. It can mean two different things, right? When you're baptizing in a name. Does it mean I'm baptizing you under the authorization, just like I might sign a document in someone else's name? Or does it mean something else? Well, in the Greek, the word is not ambiguous. It literally is into the name. I baptize you into the, the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, it's not, uh, I baptize you under their authorization. I'm baptizing you under their covenant, uh, under their identity. Uh, and that's, that's what makes Jesus' baptism so different. Uh, it is baptism into the name of the Father, that is, into the covenant of God. Now, what is a covenant? We use the word a lot. A covenant is simply a a formal, official relationship. Uh, This is how God always dealt with His people, through covenants. He establishes a relationship with them. Uh, So when we're baptized into the name, what we're looking at here is really a picture of adoption. Uh, Baptism is God's visual way of signing adoption papers. He says, you are now under in my name. You belong to me. That's the idea that, that is, uh, is being taught in, in Jesus' institution of baptism. Well, if you understand that, then you can begin perhaps to appreciate why the early Christians placed such a high value on this sacrament. It's not about the water. It's not about the ritual itself. It's about what that signified what it meant that in that moment these Christians were taken out of the world and adopted by God their father. Just as an adopted child will forever look back on the moment that those papers were signed as the moment that, that changed his or her life and identity forever, that's how the apostles and the early Christians looked at baptism. That's why they saw it as such an important moment. In that day, I became a child of God. And that's also why uh, baptism begins with the name of the Father. That's why Jesus mentions the Father, because it is the Father who adopts His children. In this way, baptism functions a lot like circumcision did in the Old Testament, as a sign of, these are my children. These are the people that belong to me. And we'll see that connection in more detail in the coming weeks, especially when we get to the question of infant baptism. But that's the first point that we want to recognize concerning the meaning of baptism that makes it so different than that of John. It is baptism into the name of the Father. But Scripture says more, doesn't it? Uh, There's more 
to the wording that Jesus gave us than just the Father, because it's also baptism into the name of the Son. So we, we want to pause and think, what does that mean? We're already baptized into the name of God. Uh, why does He also add into the name of the Son? Well, if all that baptism signified was adoption into a covenant, then it might have been enough just to say, I baptize you into the name of the Father or into the name of God. Uh, But Jesus adds the name of the Son, uh, and, and this shows us another reason why baptism was so important to the first Christians, uh, because they recognize that when they're baptized, they are united to the one who has saved them from their sins. They are united to Christ and made participants in his death and resurrection. Uh, And this is so important. You see it in so many places in the New Testament. Almost whenever the New Testament speaks of baptism, it speaks of that unity with the Son of God. Now, you see this especially in Romans 6, which we read earlier. So again, Paul's being asked, if we're saved by grace, why not just go ahead and sin? And Paul's answer to that is, look at your baptism and what that baptism means. He says, do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, we might also walk Uh, in newness of life. Uh, What Paul is teaching us is that in our baptism, we are made participants, not just belonging to God, but participants with Christ, uh, united to our Savior. Uh, It says, baptism says, "I, I share in Christ's death. His death is my death, and His resurrection is my resurrection. It is not only the moment of adoption for me, it is also the moment of deliverance when I'm saved from the judgment of God that is coming upon this world. That's what Peter also illustrates in what we read from 1 Peter 3. He says, Baptism that corresponds to the flood of Noah now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. And that last phrase there is key. This passage has sometimes been interpreted to mean, look, Baptism is proof that you have a good conscience, and so babies don't have that, so they shouldn't be baptized, and that argument is uh, sometimes made. But, but Peter's point is, uh, baptism shows that you belong to the resurrection of Christ, which is the cause of your good conscience. It's not in you, it's in Christ. Uh, it, it is the proof that I share in Christ's resurrection. Uh, And so even though the apostles and early Christians, they understood that uh, the act of baptism in itself doesn't save us. Again, it's not about the water, uh, yet they recognize this is the sign that Christ gave us to which he attaches, attaches a great promise, that of deliverance from my sin. And you see that portrayed in the very imagery of baptism. Now, baptism is, after all, a washing Uh, And at its most basic meaning, it is a picture of being washed in the blood of Christ, uh, cleansed from the stain of sin and made into new, whole, clean people. Now we recognize, of course, none of this means that those who are baptized are are therefore automatically saved. 
uh, as members of God's covenant, we're also called to live by faith according to uh, the covenant. Uh, but that being said, we do want to listen to Scripture as Scripture honors and affirms the value of something as simple as belonging to God's covenant. Uh, not only does Peter say baptism saves you, very strong language, uh, and, and you might ask, would we, would we dare to use that language? Uh, but he, as Paul also said, as many as of you have, as have been baptized have put on Christ. It's very strong language. Uh, so although we recognize that belonging to the covenant is not enough, you must believe, you must have faith, uh, and we recognize as well there are hypocrites within uh, God's covenant. Uh, so covenant membership does not save by itself, and yet Scripture places a very high premium on it. It is the place of salvation. Uh, if we take uh, Peter's analogy of, of the, the ark, Noah's ark, uh, we might say baptism is like being on that ark. Is it possible to jump off? Yeah. But you can still say, if you're on the ark, I'm saved. I look out at the world around me, drowning in the water, and I know God has saved me. It is the place of salvation. It is God's declaration of love and commitment. Uh, Another way to put it, to see the value here, is if someone walks away from the covenant, are they walking away from something or not? And we would say with Scripture, yes, they are. They're walking away from God. They're, they're losing something by leaving it behind. Uh, even though it didn't save by itself, yet it is a real loss. So we want to hold on to the one thing without uh, letting go of the other. Uh, it's much like the covenant of marriage that has a, an outward formal dimension that has real value. Uh, and yet also requires that inward, heartfelt, relational dimension. Uh, Both are necessary and important. Indeed, the the outward is there uh, to protect and honor and serve the interests of that inward, heartfelt relationship. Uh, So baptism is the sign that we are brought into covenant with God. It is, uh, as it were, God's wedding vow uh, made to His people that I will never leave or forsake you. In baptism, uh, we, are, we, we are made to belong to the Father then. We are made to belong to the Son. Uh, so our names are written in the book of life. Uh, and, and we are also baptized into the name of the Spirit. And that's, that's the third thing that we also want to notice here. Why does Jesus also mention the Spirit? Now you might say, well, Jesus has to finish the Trinity, so uh, that's why he mentions all three. Uh, but we should assume that, that more is going on there than Jesus just mentioning all the persons of the Trinity. Uh, and we can see that when we look back and remember John's words. Remember, what did he say? Uh, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It shouldn't surprise us then that in the institution of baptism, Jesus also mentions the Spirit. Uh, And this, too, uh, is proclaimed in the symbolism of baptism. Uh, Whether we are immersed in the water or sprinkled with the water, uh, that water is not only a picture of the blood of Christ, it's also a picture of the Spirit of Christ that gives us new life. Uh, If if we're going to go with the sprinkling, uh, this is an image often used in Scripture uh, where the Spirit is spoken of as rain. 
rain that falls upon the land and produces a crop. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, water has always been a symbol for the Holy Spirit. You think especially of that uh, river that comes back again and again in the Old Testament, this river that's flowing out of the temple of God, out of Jerusalem, out to the nations, bringing life wherever it goes. Uh, Isaiah 7, the prophet Isaiah rebukes uh, the king Ahaz for uh, rejecting the gently flowing waters of Shiloah. There was an actual spring called the Spring of Shiloah in Jerusalem. And it had uh, the people used it with symbolic meaning as one day this is a picture of, of the spirit that will flow out of this city into the world. And that idea is expressed in even more powerful terms in uh, Ezekiel. You get to Ezekiel 47 and there's this beautiful picture of this river going out and everywhere it goes, it it produces life. Both trees on the banks uh, whose leaves, it says, are for the healing of the nations. Uh, And then all sorts of fish that grow and multiply within the the waters of that river. Uh, Wherever it goes, it gives life. Well, that, that idea too then is, is brought into this picture of baptism. Uh, we're not just washed in the blood of Christ, we're washed in Christ's Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is poured out upon us or we are immersed uh, in Him, both are biblical metaphors. Uh, and as we do that, He brings to life that which was dead. This is why baptism is called then the, the washing of regeneration. Uh, regeneration, it's a big word, it's a Latin word, uh, but literally means the, the, the reproducing of new life. God bringing to life that which was formerly dead. Uh, now again, uh, we should not think, as some have sometimes done, that the ritual does this all by itself. Uh, nor that the Spirit automatically creates a new heart in every baptized individual. Again, it's a covenant song, uh, sign. It's a sign of belonging uh, and a sign of God's commitment to produce faith as we also walk with Him, as we respond in faith. It's the very nature of a covenant that there, there are two sides to a covenant. There's a promise and an obligation, and these must be held together. Now, some might object, if you wish, that, well, we can't. We can't respond in faith unless the Spirit first uh, gives it to us. Uh, And and that's true, but that's not not what's being spoken about in baptism. Uh, What the Spirit is promising uh, is, is that He will work in us as we respond in faith. Now, will the Spirit cause us to do that? That's God's decision. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who elects. Uh, And yet, God makes a promise here that we should not belittle. Uh, If in the end someone is baptized and does fall away from the faith, they're not going to be able to turn around and blame the Spirit for not working in them, for not keeping His end of the deal. Every sinner knows this. Uh, When we sin, we sin by our own choice. Uh, We have no one to blame but ourselves. What the Spirit promises in baptism, though, is that He has set us apart from the world to belong to Himself, to be a new creation, to live by His power, to experience His indwelling, uh, and that we are then therefore called to respond in faith, uh, to seek Him, uh, to use scriptural language, to, to keep in step with Him as we also walk in faith. 
So the promises uh, that are made here are covenant promises expecting and implying a covenant obligation. Uh, None of that, though, uh, should ever... uh, So all those qualifications should not nullify uh, the significance of baptism. That sometimes happened that because people have treated it ritualistically, some have responded the other way uh, and treated it as something that is altogether insignificant. We should not do that. God places a premium on this sacrament. We should as well. And so it's not without reason that the apostles, the early Christians, and of course, the Spirit, working through them, spoke so strongly, so highly of our baptism. Uh, and that's what we get the privilege of also witnessing here uh, this, this afternoon, as we see three of uh, the young people of this congregation responding in faith, uh, doing exactly what God promised He would work in their hearts to do, to say yes and amen to His promises. Uh, that's something for which we give thanks and praise to God. We don't boast in ourselves. We see this as the gracious work of God. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing together from hymn 36.